Hey, it's me, Bree. <laughs> I like Hi, that. Mike and John. <laughs> Hello. Very formal. Hello and welcome to Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. On this episode, we're taking a look at new independent horror film, A Closer Walk With Thee. And instead of just listening to myself, your host, Michael Deniston, and my co-host, Chris Maynard, I actually got to talk with the directors, John C. Clark and Bree Williams, on their new film. After that, Chris and I attempt to pitch you the movie, I assure you in a much worse way than the filmmakers themselves, with our two selections. So stick around for that, and here's the trailer for A Closer Walk With Thee. They performed a deliverance on her. And they cast the demon out. You're kind of scaring me. I don't want to scare you. I saw this film and I actually met the two of you briefly at the Nashville Film Festival and I, I wanted to talk about it because it's it's a strange mashup of a movie. There's definitely a lot of different genres you could sort of categorize this. If I was mm-hmm. back in my old video store rental days, which really dates me, I probably would have had a hard time. Like I, I think this would be a horror film would be the most basic label you could give it. But I think, especially with the crowd that I watched it with, there were sort of different reactions at uh, different points. So I wanted to ask you all, like, you know, what was the initial uh, concept for this film? What was the initial spark or idea that, that started this project? I was raised Southern Baptist or in a pretty evangelical conservative home. Um, and as I got older, I became a horror fan. And I noticed I didn't see any horror, like religious horror films that resembled my upbringing. They were mostly based in Catholicism, which is understandable. It's a really deep mind to, you know, a lot of material there. But I wanted to make an evangelical horror film, basically, with, with Christian, with the Southern Baptist hymnal music that I grew up with. Um, so I pitched kind of that to Brie. Uh, we went back and forth on it and came up with this idea of a a small group of missionaries, one of whom was gay and secretly in love with the other missionary. And then Brie found this amazing developing group of evangelical churches called deliverance churches, which are basically evangelicals that believe in exorcism. And so that kind of just steered us in the right direction. And uh, I'll add that they believe in exorcism, not like the Catholics do, but like as a sort of almost everyday practice, like any, any sort of problem that you might have in your life. The belief is that that is caused by a literal demon and can be solved by a literal exorcism. Uh, So it's just, so it's more commonplace than like the cat, the Catholic thing. And and sometimes it's not a demon inside of you, but it's like a blood curse that they put on (laughs) you that they're still controlling you with. It's complicated. There's a lot of mythology around it, but it's very interesting. <laughs> so you're saying that they're beating the Catholics then at their own game. Mm-hmm. They've, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. You get more <laughs> bang for your buck that way with your exorcisms. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We actually went to an exorcism to 
in, for research and our actors went and saw the same exorcist perform was that fun it was a uh, it was very disturbing uh it was entertaining on on a level um but yeah it was it was a it was a fascinating experience for sure yeah we we've been watching this guy online so we already had some idea of what he di- what he does but then when we um were there in person it was it was kind of sad to see the people who have been kind of manipulated yeah. by, mm. by this and kind of fallen into this trap because there's a lot of money you know he sells pewter crosses that have been blessed and books and yeah it was also- a bit of a downer actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, the film is not uh that that's one you know, i don't know how i would react to seeing an actual exorcism i, I probably would be the one awkwardly laughing and then get you know, i would be yeah. silenced by their their stares or weird looks yeah that was sort of where the place we were into <laughs> i i uh you know I, I found this this film to be really funny at times like uh, the, the question i had at the festival is it reminded me a, a lot of uh romantic comedy tropes because there's oh, totally this, yeah there's yep. this battle, you know, there's, there's this sort of love triangle, uh, although it's up in the air how much the characters are aware of the love triangle, how much they're ignoring it sort of willfully because they don't want to deal with it. Um, but there's definitely, at the end of the film, there's there's some grand romantic gestures involved, which are <laughs> horrifying, <laughs> that sort of test how far the participants in this love triangle are willing to go. Was that something that was on your mind as you were doing it, as far as the way you're developing these characters or develop, developing them with the actors, as far as how you want to play the, the romance angle. Cause it certainly leads to horrific territory, but it's, it's there before the shit hits the fan. There are a lot of sort of awkwardly funny moments of, of these three people trying to live together in a very tiny space with these developing feelings. Uh, yeah, I will say, um, Structurally, I definitely thought a lot about romantic comedies when I was plotting it. I don't think, I think we might have mentioned that to the actors at one point uh, jokingly, but I don't think that they were really thinking of it that way. Um, I certainly was in a, on a level. It's probably better for them that they're not. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a very, it would be a very strange rom com to have on the, re- yeah, the resume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we, I mean, there's definitely, we're definitely kind of, I don't know, subverting in a way the kind of, coming out like those coming out romantic comedies in the nineties as like uh, early gay films. Um, well, not really early, but you know, those kind of coming out movies that like gay boys in love with the straight boy. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, either he gets the boy at the end or he doesn't, but he meets someone new. And we kind of took that idea, but then put it into this evangelical environment and kind of pushed it to the extreme that that would go in. But there's also the, the environment of these, these people, this missionary work where they are, they are strangers in a strange land. I mean, they are, they're going out of their way uh, to plant themselves. I'm presumably in situations and around newer people that these characters are not used to. What, what was the thinking there as far as uh, the actual setting of the film uh, being in this, this city and in this, this house uh, dealing with a population that, that they are not used to dealing with. And at you know a certain point in the film, it becomes possibly a threat as far as to them, like how much they're actually engaging with community uh, and how much they're just convincing themselves that they're accomplishing something there. I mean, I think this is something very real. Like this is a satire on something that happens all the time. There's a lot of inner city missionary work going on. So yeah, it's definitely like satire on this sort of white savior thing and this misguided attempt 
by these groups to help people or save people uh, when they really don't know what they're doing or don't have any understanding of what they're doing. And then also just film-wise, narratively, uh, it was nice to be able to to make it that much more claustrophobic and make it like these these four people, all they have is each other and, um, and uh, to sort of um, heighten the way that they have to interact. Well, they have each other, but they don't seem to be truly aware of what's going on with the other ones or there there's a, there's a pecking order, which is, which heightens the the horror there as far as uh, basically whose, whose emotions are more valued uh, than others. And I I really like that. Um, It it is certainly very claustrophobic uh, film. Well, I mean, so one thing about the set is um, about it being so contained was basically being a micro budget film uh, Brie wanted, when Brie was writing the script, uh, just to make it clear to your listeners, Brie and I co-directed, she wrote it, um, while we developed the story together. Um, I kept telling her like, no, we need to stay in the house or in the backyard, mainly for financial purposes. It created this extra benefit of this claustrophobia, mm-hmm. but it was kind of a limitation set, set. Also, I'm like a big believer in limitations causing creativity. Like if you have all the money in the world, like I don't know. You you're not forced to come up with a, with an interesting response, um, but yeah. So we were on set, and we were on a set where people were actually living. It was a, uh, a, a mutual friend of mine and Bree's that's actually it was like they were living in the house, and we were just using one of their bedrooms in their front room. And so there was a little bit of tension between the casting crew and like the people that live there, just because we were in their way for twelve hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crew themselves all casting crew themselves like all really kind of worked together and like I think kind of became a little bit of a family like most of those people were at my wedding yeah Uh, it was really it was like a really tight-knit um set and overall just super positive everyone like was aware of our limitations and everyone really worked hard to kind of go the extra mile and um and everyone got really close it was kind of a little mini summer camp vibe and when the film does open up uh it's a bit jarring as a as a as an audience member um where you have um just you know one of the most maybe awkward uh sort of like <laughs> barbecue parties or backyard like the the use of this uh very small like kiddie pool uh I never really thought would be uh used in a, a horror film that sort of effectively but <laughs> You all really Thank did you. it. So uh, credit goes credit goes to my mom. Uh, I, I I I was like trying to figure out how to have a baptism in this small environment. When Bree originally wrote the script, she imagined an above ground pool, but because we didn't have like the large backyard and it was a shared backyard with other tenants in the same building, we needed something we could like move in and move out within a day. So yeah, I just called my mom and I was like, do you have any ideas on like what we can baptize someone in? And she was like, how about a kiddie pool? As long as it's deep enough to dunk them completely, you're good. It's Um, really creepy. It's a, it's a really creepy combination there (laughs) with the kiddie pool and what's happening with the characters. Yeah. And then the the kiddie pool we had has this weird uh, clear plastic on the middle of it, like on the sides. And my DP all of a sudden was like, wait, we could shoot through that when he gets dunked and it creates a really creepy moment. So, yeah. Well, we've, we've kind of talked around, you know, this is, in my view, romantic comedy. 
Um, <laughs> a really fun one. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brie, Brie has referred to it as her romance. We've often referred to it as our romantic comedy, but Brie has like, been adamant that this is a romance. <laughs> it's wrong. Well, good. Because uh, that's, that's going to play in uh, into the later part of this episode with my co-host when I when I present my pick, because we, we kind of share. We, we don't know what the other one's going to pick as far as what this movie reminds us of, but I'm, I'm definitely oh, staying in that field. Uh, but I want to turn it to, to you two. What would be your mashup here? What, what was on your, your mind as you were writing and directing it as far as you know, this movie, these are some of the influences or this is what we're, we're trying to attain? If you, were, if you were trying to tell listeners what this film, what they can kind of expect um, from, from this film. Um, John, I'll, I'll say on a writing level and you say on a stylistic level, all right? Yeah, that sounds good. You okay, go. um, so I would say more Carrie than The Exorcist. So like a repressed sexuality and sort of evangelical themes of Carrie. And then also Repulsion I thought about a lot, Roman Polanski's Repulsion, um, which is another great sexual, psychosexual repression uh, thriller. Uh, in terms of like kind of the way we directed it and shot it look-wise, um, there's definitely uh, Kenneth Anger is probably my favorite filmmaker of all time. Uh, and there are direct shots in the movie that are like exact replicas of shots in Scorpio rising and custom car commandos and things like that. Um, also because we shot it entirely static camera, this is probably the weirdest reference for a film that's ultimately a horror, but Ozu is a big influence just because of his kind of tight camera work and lack of camera movement. Um, also, I didn't realize it until after the fact, but the movie Dogtooth um, shoots in a similar fashion, and that was, and that's a movie that I've watched repeatedly. So when I watched it again after, I was like, oh my gosh, how could I not have realized that this influenced me? Um, also, just like the daylight horror aspect of like, like one thing McBree and I talked about originally is we wanted any horror moments to happen during the actual daytime with daylight streaming through the windows um, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre being kind of a reference to that, even though the movie doesn't resemble that at all. What, what have been some of the reactions from uh, from people that you've, you've shown this to either on the festival circuit or, or with friends or family? My mom, surprisingly, was cool with it. She was uncomfortable initially because, you know, my parents are conservative evangelical Christians. The demo, um, I'm assuming, for this. <laughs> this mm-hmm. uh, the target audience, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, well, she sat next to me during a screening in Los Angeles at a festival. I was terrified. Um, she was literally sitting next to me. I was waiting for her just to slap me or something. Uh, <laughs> but but in, in the build up to it, I kind of I did have this. I had to kind of a sit down with her and talk to her and explain to her that, you know, this isn't about her church. This is about something more extreme. And this is also about people who force their religion on others. My parents accepted my homosexuality. You know, they went to my wedding. So they're while they are religious they don't necessarily feel the need to force it on others and so my mom eventually got that and was cool with it and she appreciated the film but that was difficult um we've had a range of from people who have never seen it we've had a range um i loved your question in nashville like when you 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 asked us like if it was okay to laugh at the movie oh good because i did not like it i was recording that and i'm like this is totally unusable i really i really fucked that up so (laughs) i still have that on my cell phone somewhere it's funny because the second screening at Nashville, I actually introduced the movie and mentioned your question and said, oh. it's okay. You know, yeah, we set it up that way. <laughs> um, it was helpful. Because, because of the subject matter, people, I think, are afraid to laugh at it. But those are my favorite movies. I mean, I'm sitting next to a signed happiness poster. <laughs> also, very funny movie. <laughs> Certain it's parts. Funny also, exactly. yeah, I'm not going to call that a romantic comedy. Uh, <laughs> but... um. 
so yeah, I I love those kinds of reactions. I love when audiences aren't sure how to react. So uh, I've definitely gotten discomfort from some people. I've heard at least one person say they think the movie suggests that homosexuality is caused by possession. Um, but I've also had people just like thoroughly embrace it. I don't know. What about you, Brie, with your friends? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I've mostly had very supportive reactions. And I haven't heard from a lot of people who... Um, who I don't know personally. So it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, I've heard biased things of people who are like, it's great. So, <laughs> but, um, but I know we've had some issues like on the, in the uh, more LGBTQ festival circuit um, of uh, people being concerned that it, it, it's like what John said that, um, that we're suggesting homosexuality is uh, <laughs> caused by, the devil or something, um, which is something that certainly the characters in the film believe, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly not a, a point of view that we're coming from. I mean, I don't assume this is how you all host backyard barbecues. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I did not get that. I did not feel this was a true to life representation of yeah. where you're coming from, but uh, yeah. it's a lot of fun. I was glad to get to see it in Nashville. I, I just was coming in just on the title and the, the premise and uh, <laughs> That's that's great. So I hope we. I don't think we've you know we've not spoiled anything for listeners who have not seen it. They're, they've got a pretty good idea of what's uh, what they're going to walk into. But there's there's a lot of cool tricks still left in the film. So I want to thank you all for coming on the podcast and sort of helping me uh, helping me sell this. Uh, and if you do listen to the episode, uh, I hope you like my idea and hate my co-hosts as far as the films <laughs> are picked. Thank you, thank you for coming to the movie in Nashville and. Um... Yeah, and for being supportive and wanting to have us on this podcast, like we definitely want to get the word out about it. I I have a um, I was tempted, but I didn't really want to mislead listeners. I just started a podcast on romantic comedies because that's clearly on my brain all the time, and I was like, <laughs> I would love to have this one. I was like, but that may be that may be one you know that may be just I'm my own it. shit. Yeah, that's my baggage, <laughs> and so yeah, it's probably better just on this this independent film, and people can read into it what they want, but. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you all so much for, for coming on. And I will mention it on the Romantic Comedy Podcast. But Awesome. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah, so, um, and also you mentioned uh, social media. The kind of most, the place that we post the most is on Facebook. And it's just a closer walk with the movie um, is the, 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 I don't know, the tag for it. Um, and uh, the movie's coming out October 17th, DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand, specifically Amazon. We're not, and we're working on maybe some other outlets. Good morning, Mary Sunshine. And how are we today? I bored this sweatshirt. Hope you don't mind. Bacon and eggs coming up. Where did Heather go? Oh, I heard her leaving early this morning. You can't. What a night. That was just what I needed. Well, I'll tell you something. You look like a new man. I feel like a new man. I was getting so used to being rejected. You know, I really liked her. Hey, who's my treat? What do you mean it was your treat? You know, I bought this time, you buy next time. Well, let your eggs get cold. By what? What do you mean by what? The women. The what? Do you mean that Heather is a prostitute? 
Of course she is. You think a woman like that would hang out with us if we weren't paying? Oh, my God. This can't be happening. Oh, hey, hey, hey. It's okay. She's totally clean. I checked her out about a week ago. Make sure she was top quality. And I'm healthy as a horse. Not a drip. Would you like some juice? You're kidding me, right? She's a friend of yours. You're just messing with my mind, right? <laughs> I wish I had friends like that. Get out of my house. What are you so ashamed of? I know she was a working girl, but she kind of liked you. You might even have been able to get a freebie. Who knows? <laughs> just get out now. I don't ever want to see you again. Robin's never going to forgive me. Well, I'll tell you how you handle that. Don't tell her. You want her back? I'll help you get her uh, back. I don't I want can your do help. that. I just want you out of my apartment and get this stuff out of here. I think you need to ask yourself why you're doing this, Stephen. Because I think you're starting to sabotage yourself. Out! Now! Okay. Everything was going so well. Why are you doing this, Stephen? I made you breakfast, and we were eating, out. and... No! Out! Scramby eggs! And... No, I'll fix this, Stephen. Now! I can fix it! I can make it cool again. Out! This is just a speed bump, Steven. I'll make it better. All right. So, Chris, having seen this uh, family-friendly <laughs> you know, exorcism uh, love story that we have here with A uh, Closer Walk with Thee, I just can't wait for, for you to, uh, to to be Mr. Vanilla again so I can astound you with my, my pick. <laughs> well, I, I tried to find something that was in the religious kind of horror good element good so far. but, but no, nothing really lined up Shit. that well because of the supernatural stuff no, okay. so so i started going with the idea of uh, this friendship between the two of them where one of them kind of misunderstands the other one's intentions and so a slightly different direction but i think it's probably a little bit darker than people remember um if people remember it at all but i, I went with the cable guy that's not bad I I would never have considered that, but uh, as a fan of Cable Guy, I'm loving that you're the one that brought this back <laughs> to to the the <laughs> masses that listen to the show. The the classic Cable Guy uh, talk about I, I, misunderstanding. There also very much misunderstood when it was released to theaters to a, a national audience. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones that never really connected with people, and I I get it. It's kind of a dark movie. Um, if you look at the ending, and it's really sad there's not a lot there and i don't think that for people to really hang on to at least with what the general public's impression of jim carrey was at that point in time and i guess to some degree matthew broderick um and i guess originally it was supposed to be um was it a david spade and um chris farley movie yes was that okay Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it was going to be that dark with it in mind but jim carrey definitely took it a little bit further than i think chris farley probably ever would have in that side and Stiller really, probably responsible for that too. I think that's true. Yeah. He probably was keen to go that direction, but uh, I was big. I mean, this came out when I was a kid, but I, I went to see it and like made my parents drop me off of the theater so I could see it multiple <laughs> I was times. In college. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping while you were out playing hacky sack that, you know, you strolled over to the theater to, to watch some cable guy <laughs> and you know, fought the good fight. Like I did as a, middle schooler or whatever I was at the, at the time, but I could definitely see a Chris Farley version being uh, much friendlier, just like just being the annoying oversharing overly friendly guy. And that being it very, I guess very Tommy boy or black sheep material there. 
Yeah, it falls into that that side of it. But you're right. I, ben Stiller at that point with the stuff he did on his TV show, um, he, he had some sort of dark leanings, I think, before he became, you know, kind of a little bit more of a mainstream meet the Fockers kind of guy. And he, I think that that fits in with a closer walk with thee, just because of sort of the relationship between these two guys. It seems like that they could actually be beneficial to one another and they could help each other out. And there's almost a, for me at least, um, <laughs> the movie is a little bit trashier than I think that perhaps some people would give it credit for. And that's one of the things I actually enjoy about the movie that it does revel in that so a lot of the stuff that i was trying to pair pair up with it i I didn't want to give the impression that it was overly serious because i don't think you should go into closer walk with the with that sort of tone in mind it's something that i think you should you know kind of keep a tongue-in-cheek attitude towards the film and i think you'll have the best time that way i know at this point that uh if you're listening to this you've heard the interview portion of this and they're the they're they're great with the the sort of many reactions that the film gets but i i saw this at the nashville film festival and uh, i was the one that raised my hand and said is this romantic comedy because i think it's romantic <laughs> comedy and they laughed they were like oh, that's cool like i love romantic com-. like they were they were willing to to at least uh entertain the the notion of this this asshole in the front row raising his <laughs> hand which was me and um so that that leads me to my pick and i of course went with romantic comedy and because we've totally misrepresented this show as far as uh, being purely about our selections as it regards to uh, the independent film selection. This is totally the 90s show. So you went with Cable Guy <laughs> from 96, I believe. Yeah, 96. Good memory. I uh, I went uh, one year prior, uh, spring of 95, when the world America fell in love with Sandra, Sandra Bullock. And uh, I went with While You Were Sleeping as my pick. <laughs> How did closer, you come up with that? Quickly, hear me out. So, in a coma. Oh, I was going to marry him. Who's she? She's his fiance. No, no, no. Peter's engaged. She saved his life. Lucy's uh, going to marry my brother Peter. What? I didn't mean for this to happen. I don't know what to do. Don't tell them a thing. Well, since they met you, they figure they have Peter back. They need you, Lucy, just like you need them. Come on, everybody. And the grandmother, she's got this heart thing. She had three attacks already. Now you tell them now, and you might as well shoot Grandma. That's right. You haven't met Jack yet. Welcome to the family. Oh, thank you. It's funny. My brother never mentioned you. Which one of the three stooges was Peter's favorite? Curly. Curly. Ha! He's everybody's favorite. Fact is, you're not really Peter's type. All right. Whose type am I? I like blondes. You like brunettes. Can I say, Peter, I was never envious of anything that you had until now. There are a number of romantic comedies I think you could have put in this. If you're if you're viewing A Closer Walk with the as a romantic comedy, which um, I, I do another podcast called The Grand Gesture, which in Nashville was, you know, at that point, um, I was not doing the show, but it, I assure you it was just as successful then as it is now, as far as the number of listeners before it was created. <laughs> and so... <laughs> That's a staple of uh, the the rom com so much so that I felt the need to create a podcast about it to to fill that movie podcast uh, void that we have, and so there are a lot of them you could pick. I, I went with while you were sleeping because the we're asked to root for a character that is lying to other people, misrepresenting themselves um, for good reason, and you know, closer walk with thee. Given that these are uh, very 
young Christians who are very much just left with each other and their religions, very sort of close space film. They're in this house and uh, that's very much like they eat dinner together, eat breakfast, and they talk about Jesus and God. It is so overpowering as far as that's their identity. While you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock plays this sort of like, I don't know, listless romantic who sort of daydreams about the possibilities of this this person. And then through happenstance, through like a, a meet-cute trope, uh, she saves uh, this, this guy's life and then finds herself enrolled in this lie somewhat of her own making that she was this this fella's uh, fiance, this this fella's girlfriend, and doesn't really give up that identity. So that's what I was going with. This this the way that you're that character's playing a role in what they think is for for the betterment of other people. And here, you know, we we have two guys who I would think to what you were saying, both of them, if they were honest with themselves, they could have something better than what they have, but they're not willing to sort of make that leap. So they should have watched while you were sleeping with Sandra Bullock. So do you, do you get the feeling then that um, it's it is reciprocal more than one of them more mm-hmm. than the yes. priest himself? I, that's the yeah. feeling I got as well. And yeah, not so much uh, as far as creepiness factor. I think my pick takes the cake. I think I've got the you know, poor <laughs> you know Peter Gallagher. It's just he has no idea, but he's been. You know, taken for for a ride here. He doesn't. He has no. Idea, but he thinks he should know who who Sandra Bullock's character is because he's the one that wakes up from this this uh, coma with no memory of the relationship, and he just goes along with it. Well, I, there is an element of a, the interloper though, where the there's the uh, the he's playing the outside character coming into an existing relationship, and I wanted that element as well. You wanted this. You wanted that element in. Uh, yeah, in my in my pick, that's kind of what led me to the cable guy. That this outside person that's just a friend is really interfering with this, you know, relationship. And you could, there's actually quite a few films that would fit into that category, but most of them uh, don't get as dark as the cable guy. Uh, some of them have characters that are far less likable than Jim Carrey, um, because I think you do ultimately end up feeling sorry for the guy. Um, not sure about that in Closer Walk with D that you really do feel sorry for him in the end. Um, well, that's where I, the the pure horror, uh, you know, actions come in. This being, it's going to be just a little <laughs> bit more more violent than uh, than either one of our picks that stay in the, I believe, the PG thirteen category, not not R rated material. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, Sandra Bullock at that point hadn't done an R rated movie. Demolition Man, maybe. Was was that rated R? I think so, but you know, I'm I just have to admit I'm very ill prepared to answer questions about the Mushroom <laughs> Man, so I should not have brought that up. <laughs> I know there's a weird bathroom with like shells but, as toilet yeah, paper. Yeah, with the shells, yeah. That's about the only thing I remember. So is that we could just go deep dive on that and try to figure out exactly what the shells do and how you use them. I Oh, they also they don't have sex in Demolition Man, which um that is part of the problem with a closer walk with E. I think that's a lot of the, the issues that come up in that household is there's, there's a lack of sex and there's a lot of young people shacked up, which I have to admit, you know, I, I came in thinking like, I'm going to be the, uh, the, the extreme one here with, with my pick. <laughs> um, but what I've failed to do is provide, you know, I'm, I'm saying that uh, sex would have saved these characters in a closer walk with E. There, at least there's some of it in Cable Guy. I mean, I'm, I'm bringing a romantic comedy that I, th- I think 
I think at the end of the film, Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock kiss, but I, mm-hmm. I think that may be as far as you get in the in that particular romantic comedy universe. There's, uh, I think there's more physical int- intimacy in uh, the Cable Guy. Yeah, there's that uh, midnight, um, not midnight run. The uh, God, why am I forgetting the name of the film offhand? The uh, parody scene where he's in the prison and he midnight lifts up Express. his shirt. Midnight Express. Thank yeah. you. Get a so, little Jim yeah. Carrey nipple in there. There you go. So I mean, that, that's pretty intimate. Your your film also though was was Matthew Broderick. From what I recall, uh, has issues with <laughs> with just having a sort of sexual being to himself that that sequence where jim carrey buys him a prostitute i don't know if your average your average dude would have found that to be a breakup worthy sin that happens in the cable guy with jim carrey uh, i wouldn't have been too happy with that one if somebody would have sent uh if me and my wife had a bad night and some guy decided to throw a karaoke party <laughs> well okay not your wife at this point this is just like this is a, a girlfriend that you know, him, and, him and leslie mann were living together they were definitely heading down that path I, if I remember correctly, you know, it's been right. probably 10 plus years. I have succeeded in painting you into the Mr. Vanilla corner again, because I could, I can understand. <laughs> the, I'm not going to shack up with a prostitute. <laughs> I mean, at least, you know, your friend had the decency to, you know, not give you that information until after the fact you didn't knowingly do it. Didn't ruin the experience. You just played <laughs> part of the fantasy. I love Jim Carrey's line in that where he's like, he's surprised that, broderick is surprised like guys you, like us have to pay or whatever yeah like you actually think that just happened to you but like by <laughs> choice like you, you just just worked out for you that those things don't happen in this world that's i would say that's my one big criticism of the cable guy is that's that one sequence matthew broderick could be a little bit more understanding a little more progressive <laughs> in his viewpoints you know i i get kind of uh, once again you have a completely original read on that scene um, I think you're the only one <laughs> that had that reaction to it. Well, for most of us, you know, you kind of have this morning after he's feeling good about himself. He's, you know, kind of the rebound is there. There's a little bit of potential. He still has a little bit more swagger than he thought. And then it's all removed from him. I think that's as much of the pain as anything else. It's that he's deflating his ego in that moment because he actually felt okay. And he takes that away from him. I would have just seen it as, hey, this is uh, this dude cares about me. You just said, thanks, Hiro. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, like, you know, my favorite film from last year. Everybody wants some. Those dudes, I think they would just roll with it. I think they'd be oh, like, oh, those guys? For yeah. sure. Well, there are a ton of those guys out there. What are you. <laughs> what I'm saying is. Roderick is not one of them. Exactly. And it's the, the cable guy's fault for picking this dude as his, his bestie because he's not cool. He's a, he has cooler friends than this. <laughs> Jack Black. Oh, he's really not cool in this movie. God, he is not so at all. God, so over. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think George C. Seagal is probably the cooler guy out of Jack all Black. The... Is the one that character would fit very well in a closer walk with the as far as uh, if you wanted to spin the cable guy more horrific or have a more threatening <laughs> presence. He he's you know he he cares a little too much about uh, what his buddy's up to or who he's hanging out with. There's a controlling aspect to to that character and um i think that's probably the most delicate balance in a closer walk with the because you you said you know it's hard to have too much of a rooting interest one way or the other as far as 
you know, this being a, a horror film, which direction and how far you want the characters to take things. And they, they take things to the extreme here for sure. <laughs> but far enough. For, yeah. <laughs> um, that, far enough. <laughs> like, you know, there was a line and it almost crossed over for Maynard, but not quite. <laughs> However, you hire a prostitute for him. <laughs> hell worthy sin. <laughs> I guess it just all imagines when you're sort of projecting yourself in the film, which side you're on in that particular scene. So do you, do you feel like that uh, closer walk with the, like people like discovering this on VOD, DVD, what have you, that, uh, are they going to know, like, as they're watching it, are they going to, cause I mean, you know, most horror films are set up to give you a, a rooting interest in the sense, just in that here's this, this foreboding threat. And there's a thrill and most likely our, whoever our lead is or the person we're rooting for is going to die or, uh, just nearly escape death. This one's a little bit different because I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what outcome you're really hoping for with these characters because the battle here is about some degree of honesty. And I guess the, the punishment that's being enacted on these, these characters here is that none of them can be completely honest with each other. So this is the end result of that. Well, I think that you end up in an area because this is about this unrequited uh, love between two guys that people don't want to laugh at it because they don't want to feel like it's 1982 and they're watching Police Academy again. And I don't think the movie has that intention to it, but I think audiences might sort of overcompensate for that and take it a little bit more seriously than it's intended. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same problem I had with while you were sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) It was too much like police academy. <laughs> <laughs> people, people, you know, took it far too seriously upon uh, initial release, and now it's it's been reappraised as <laughs> a serious, uh, bona fide stalker film. But I think that uh, you know, going back to my romantic comedy thing, that we we certainly in certain genres we absolve characters of shenanigans, and in particular in the the rom com field of things that we would find creepy or horrifying. If you just said, no, this is the type of movie this is. And one thing I really like about A Closer Walk With Thee is it doesn't really announce itself as any one thing in particular. So I was proud to raise my hand and say, cool love That's story. comedy. I had some good laughs. laughs. I'll say this. A troll. You, know, you know what? Hey, I'm being completely genuine here. It is far funnier than the rom-com, the official IMDb comedy while you were sleeping. I had a lot more laughs. laughs from Close Walk with Z. I, I, I would actually agree with you on that. It, I, but that's going back to 1995, remembering that film. So I think I saw that that year and probably not I, since. You know, I'm I'm just using this as for the podcast. I'm not honestly recommending people go back and <laughs> reappraise or check this out <laughs> to see if the humor holds up in 2017. <laughs> I just thought it was mildly creepy. That uh, Sandra Bullock. Imagine, you know, do a, a, a role reversal here. Do a gender yeah, swap. Yeah, it, it's terrible. Yeah. And that, that I mean, there's there's a lot that America will put up with from Sandra Bullock. And I, for one, think it needs to be stopped. Is that sort of what was going on in uh, the big sick to some degree? Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I guess so. But I'm trying to think, like, what? Because that one is critically acclaimed. The, I guess the, the uh, you know, the actual 
Fargo element here. The hype of this, like, oh, the end result of this actually was a marriage, like a real right. life marriage, <laughs> helps that. Because <laughs> other, it may be, it may have been a bit more of an awkward sell to uh, to have that. You know, that particular couple in the big sick. Um, I would have allowed Camille Nanjani to uh, to have a prostitute in his bed. <laughs> Their relationship was not that far along. Matthew Broderick was further along in the cable guy than what at least the big sick version of that that couple. They were they were not that far into it just yet. No not that not that far into it, but and they had broken up. So what he Same was doing as Matthew Broderick and Cable Guy. That's true. That's very true. God. So that's the real pairing that needs to be together. You're you're benching while you're sleeping for the big sick? You think it's creepier than while you're sleeping? No, 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 God, no! Because they, because <laughs> you said that as if I'd pick The Exorcist. <laughs> God, no, nothing's creepier than while you're sleeping. Movie's <laughs> <laughs> frightening. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Projecting Film. If you would like to support the show, you can subscribe on iTunes. Go to followingfilms.com where there are some other great movie podcasts such as The Grand Gesture, the romantic comedy podcast that I've mentioned more than a few times on this episode. You can also follow this show on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Projecting Film. But more importantly, we hope you join us next time as we're switching gears slightly to... uh, the holiday spirit of Michael Shannon in Pottersville. Although this could be considered a horror film as it involves Mr. Shannon getting drunk and dressing up as Bigfoot to terrorize the town. It's actually a really sweet movie. So hope you check it out and then check out our discussion and our picks. You set me up. No, I taught you a lesson. I can be your best friend or your worst enemy. You seem to prefer the latter. I'm just here to comfort you. Come on, touch it. Huh? Come on, you need human contact. Touch it. I will not touch it. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. I know how you're feeling right now. Stop it, stop it. Don't do that. I'm here for you. (laughs) Don't do that, Jesus Christ. You're going to get me killed. Out of here. Oh, oh, Billy. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Remember Midnight Express? Oliver Stone won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Awesome, awesome scene.